All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 49 of the KISS FAQ podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Julian Gill, admin on the board today. Joining me is Ken, 69th Blizzard. Welcome back, Ken. Lonnie. St. Louis Kiss, and Mark, Marcus Almighty. Greetings. Thank you all for joining me today. Um, before we get into today's topic, I would just like to do a little further pimping of the incredible Kiss in Japan book. I did get my copy. Um, oh, and it is absolutely incredible. So if you're interested in picking up this book, as of yesterday, I believe... Uh, they said there was less than 70 copies remaining, and they don't want to print any more. So, kissinjapan.com, and it's got an email address for the author of the book in Japan. And, of course, the book's written in English, and we did a long interview in the last podcast with Alan about the book. So, it really, from my flipping through it, it lives up to expectations, and there were some really interesting things in there that even I did not know. So um, I'm sure everyone else will enjoy it. Mark, yours is in the post, so you should get it very, very soon. Awesome. Um, the other piece of news today, which is worth mentioning, is, of course, it's Friday, December the 4th, when we tape this, Kiss My Wax, the uh, vinyl collectors group on Facebook, have finally, and congratulations, guys, put up their first episode of their podcast. It's a vinyl-centric podcast where Tom Shannon, Jason Herndon, Herndon, sorry, Jason, and little Andrew Scambati talk about collecting Kiss vinyl. Um, so go over to them on Facebook or throw that name, Kiss My Wax, into YouTube to find their debut podcast. Uh, I started watching it this morning, and it was it looked good. It looked like it was going to be fun. So that's one of uh, another podcast joins the Kiss family. So give them a listen. You don't have to do it again if you don't like it, but at least give them a chance. All right, let's get into our topic today, gentlemen, because... <coughs> This is one of Mark's ideas, um, and I think it's a, a really good topic about kiss, historic locations. You know, what are some of the, the I guess, the top ten, you know, historic locations that uh, we're all going to come from different perspectives on this. So, Mark, I'm going to throw this straight out to you, um, throw, throw you in the deep end here. Okay. Well, I mean, this is something that's kind of been a, a point of interest to me since um being in a band myself and traveling around a lot i've enjoyed traveling just in general and seeing places and going around the world and stuff but i always kind of thought about that like what are the places tied to kiss that are really strong in one's memory or what what places were important to them as they grew as a band from beginning to where they are now and places that people might be interested to go and check out you know, one of those things I always thought about, like they have like a Doctor Who thing where you go to England and you go on a little bus and they take you to all the spots that you might have remembered from prior episodes. I've always envisioned a kind of long form thing of that where they take you across America, maybe or other places, and it would take a couple couple of weeks, obviously, to do that. But um, I guess to jump right into it, one of the very first spots that I guess one would have to talk about in terms of a historic location would have to be their loft which is on 10 East 23rd Street in New York City. So that, to me, would be probably one of the very first 
places and it's actually a place that I'd love to go see. I mean, it's not there anymore, but I mean, just to be in that section, just to kind of say that you were there and to be able to see it, that's one spot that kind of uh, rings to me as an important place in KISS history. I'm sure you guys would probably agree with that. Yeah, I mean, does that place still exist physically? It's just, I, hasn't it been, the building's still there, but it's been... Yeah. I think it's one of those things where the building is there. It's no longer, obviously, a rehearsal loft. I think that there was, wasn't there a story where people were going there and trying to take, like, bricks or trying to take a piece of the building just to have some sort of a memento of KISS from that actual building? I keep remembering hearing something about that somewhere. Not living in New York, I really don't pay too much attention to any of that. So that, that's a distinct possibility. But there's also other lofts. There's the Wicked Lester loft. And, yeah. And there's also the Malimo loft. So, I mean, that, that's three places in New York City. Because um, while obviously Malimo was not, uh, you know, still, still a band at that time, Kiss did rehearse on occasion at... Ace's former band's guys loft, where I, I believe the, um, the couple uh, to the core guys, Tom Ellis and I can't remember the other guy, and Roy lived at the time. So multiple lofts there. Yeah. Um, another one, if we're talking about New York City, that really I think would be important to bring up as far as the importance of what happened in this place would be the Hotel Diplomat, which is 108 116th West. 43rd Street in New York, and uh, <clears throat> that's and that to me seems pretty important just because it's a those shows there helped eventually get Bill Coyne into the picture for them, and obviously we all know that without Bill Coyne, who knows what would have, what would have happened with the band? Would they have gotten as far as they did? That's you know, who knows? I mean, if we had a time machine or and could change time, maybe we could figure that out. But I guess at this point, I think it's a safe bet to say that without him there probably wouldn't be as big a kiss as there is now, right? So um, I'm guessing that that would be another uh, one that we all agree on, I guess. Can Lonnie? Yeah, I think so. I think, both yeah. of those, uh, I agree I with. Both those on my good. list. Yeah. Anybody's list, absolutely. They had that documentary. Remember on Kiss My Ass, they had Gene and Paul going back to the loft, you know, yeah. like going yeah. up the stairs and that. Was, it's hard to believe that video... Is twenty years old. You know, you can say, "Well, it was still in existence in '94," but '94 was yeah. twenty-one years ago. Yeah, so who it. knows what kind of shape that building's in? I mean, yeah. you out there listening, live in New York, you tell us is Tenny's twenty-third loft still there? Yeah, and that would actually make a really good like fan-made documentary, um, regardless mm. of the state of some of these places. I mean, get the addresses of the Malima loft, the Lester loft, the Kiss loft, the Daisy, you know, the Coventry. Hotel Diplomat, none of them exist anymore. Or I'm at least of those last three. I don't know about the lofts. You but know, what's there? Yeah, what is there? You know, it would be great to be able to look on YouTube and here's a Kiss fan standing in front of some bank and saying, Well, this is where the Daisy was or the Coventry, you know. And, you know, maybe in the background, there, yeah, there's a security guard running to tackle them, you know. But, um, yeah, I would, I would love to see what is there in those places. And Hotel yeah. Hotel Diplomat was a really good one to mention. It's not on my list, um, but it's important. It was, like, their first real professional organized gigs rather than being, like, a club band who's just showing up in a bar and playing. There's a big difference between doing that and doing the organization that went into you know, that's the next step up for a band when you start doing, 
you know, showcases and inviting people to come and see you when you've only played, what, eight or nine gigs, if that, at that point. So, you know, Hotel, awesome. Hotel Diplomat's really cool, plus this, uh, the, uh, the New York Dolls connection and all that glam scene. So it's, it's important in the bigger picture of, like, music history to me. Lonnie, let's jump into some of your picks here. Some of my picks are more, uh, you know, I think we all have, you know, Tenney's 23rd Street on there and, and things like that. My, for me, and this was one that I went to, um, in 2007, my brother and I went to Sault Ste. Marie and saw that one-off show up there, and we drove back into Detroit, and we walked around what used to be Tiger, well, the remnants of Tiger Stadium, it, um, closed down and abandoned, you know, and just decaying but it was really cool just to walk around there not you know for the baseball history one but for for the kiss history too because you know obviously that was the site of of the first reunion show and it was you know it was a big deal and i talk about an historic location for where the band had its big comeback gig at um you know never never mind the fact that ty cobb played there or whatever else but it was it was just the fact that this is this is where the band reunited and, and retook over the world and you know my brother my brother's is almost as big of a fan as I am and it's just like God how cool it would have been just to be here that night when that happened we you know we've seen you know the footage of it and just you know my my other brother actually got married that day so we, it was not on the, it was not in the cards to go that night to make a pilgrimage to Detroit so. Um, you know that that was definitely that was definitely on one of mine, and it was one that I actually got to fulfill was to walk around you know the remains of of Tiger Stadium. So, um, just maybe not as as important to the formation of the band like some of these New York locations, but for me in my timeline of being sixteen years old when the reunion happened, that was just like the it would have been the place to be that Saturday night in nineteen ninety six. So that's a huge one for me. Yeah, that was that was on my list. You know, yeah, me too. But for me, I was looking, and you know, kind of how I approach this topic is not only the importance in history, and you you just touched on some of the important things there. The history of Tiger Stadium, absolutely, in Americana, you know, is so it transcends Kisses. You know, Kisses. You know, reunion first show, full concert. There, it was a staggering event for us. You know, as Kiss fans, but what it represented to American history. Plus, where it's located um, mm. in the heartland of, you know, it's it's the the Denim Army back that in the '70s that built Kiss in that area. I mean, that's where the, the most of the support for the '70s bands like Kiss, Aerosmith, and Rush was in the Midwest. So, when you take all of that, that's to me what makes a venue important or Kiss truly Kiss dark. That it's got, you know, everything kind of all these threads tying together. Ken, well, uh, so far. The three that have come up so far, I, they were on my list too. So, um, you know, no disagreements there. But so I'll, I'll just come up with one that I think is on my list that probably not on any of your lists. Um, I have two that are like that, I think. Uh, but one of them is the uh, the Star Theater. And uh, was it Nanuit? Nanuit. New York. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's where they recorded uh, Rock and Roll Over. And for me, I'd love to see the theater just to see, you know, uh, where they possibly, you know, put everybody. And I think they had, 
uh, Peter Chris in another, like, I don't know, up the stairwell or something. They had it in there. They had cameras and things so you could yeah. see each other. And, uh, and that one is important to me because, well, it's unique because they try to get their, you know, record a live sound, which I think they somewhat did capture uh, on that album because that is one of the best sounding, in my opinion, uh, Kiss albums out there. Yeah. Um, so I think what they were going for, you know, they succeeded um, to, to get away from the Destroyer um, pr production, slick production, to their more live sound that, you know, was from the Alive album, um, more similar to that, I guess. So, yeah, and that's just regarded from, well, by me, it's my favorite Kiss album, and it's regarded as a lot of, you know, it's up there always with a lot of Kiss fans. So that's my uh, pick, one of my picks. I don't know if it's still there. It, it look, looks like it closed in 1978. Yeah, it's like it came at church or something, or one time. I, but think. I, I don't know. But <laughs> if I remember them saying, you know, in, the, in, the, in the run-up to recording the album, that it was an abandoned theater, so you know yeah, that yeah. was why they they were able to get it, I guess, or and, or it suited their needs. It was nearby, and and whatever. Just you know, so many of these places, I guess, that we're going to talk about today, or have already started talking about, don't still exist, which is hardly surprising. Forty years or so after the fact. Mark, let's get back to you on another one of your okay. picks. Well, since we're talking about, and you brought up a very good point with you and Lonnie, how you're talking about not only it being important to KISS, but being important to American history in general, I think one would definitely then have to bring up the Brooklyn Bridge then, because for the uh, performance that they did, it was a big, huge comeback for them, that tour, as we all know, the reunion. And the fact that it was also shown on the 1996 MTV Music Video Awards there that time. I mean, that was a huge watched program. And the fact that, you know, they were doing it on such a, you know, American place like the Brooklyn Bridge. I mean, come on. I mean, I know the original plan was to do it at the Statue of Liberty, but Brooklyn Bridge is probably the second best thing to do it on, right? So I think that that in itself is a really important thing to bring up because I mean they it was so they were so popular at that point they actually had to probably close up numerous roads getting to it I think just for that performance um, so I think that's one that's definitely needs to be brought up um, for sure and one other one I just like to bring up really quickly and I'll let you guys get to a couple of yours would be being the musician that I am one that I have on my very high priority list for me to go to is I want to go see Electric Lady Studios, which is, as we all know, where KISS did their demos with Eddie Kramer that helped get them signed, right, to their record contract. And besides the fact of just that alone there, I mean, they also did Dress to Kill. Peter Chris did his solo record there. They did Dynasty, and they also did me and Julian's favorite unmasked record, Asylum, at you know it's obviously a good studio but if they didn't do revenge there right lonnie <laughs> so it's a reason not to go there is to record this on <laughs> so yeah th those those two are another two that were pretty high on my list of importance one obviously for the american connection and the other one just for from a musical point but lonnie if you want to come in there you know, you bring up that Brooklyn Bridge thing. Um, I was, a, I was, I guess it was fall of '96 that they did that, and I was a senior in high school, and I was getting a lot of a lot of shit at school for for liking Kiss. 
you know, that, you know, you can think about it 20 years later, I'm in high school, you know, from when Kiss was in their heyday, and I'm in high school in 96, and I'm getting shit for liking the band then. It was kind of surreal. I was like, well, this must have been what it was like when they were up and coming, because I, here I am getting crap for it. And, um, People, you know, I and, and I didn't care, you know, I fed into it even, you know, I sewed like kiss patches on my backpack, whatever, you know, like fuck you, I don't care what you think. I know what I know what's good and, and what's crap and what you guys listen to is crap. So, you know, and, and here we are, you know, twenty years later, Kiss is still torn fans that you guys like no one gives a shit about twenty years later, so I win. But you know, you think about it, how big they were in 96, too. And we always talk about you know, how big, at least I, I like to talk about how big they were in 96, that they closed out the MTV Video Music Awards. And that spot is reserved for the biggest band going. Because they want, why? Just like any program. They want to keep you watching until the very end. Because Kiss is going to be on at the end, you know? I mean, early 90s, it was Guns N' Roses closing it out, or you know, or whoever. It was, they wait for the, the big band. And the fact that they close it out and they're not they were too big to even be where the video music awards were that wasn't gonna you know it's kiss you know they're too big for that they can't go there and, and play inside the theater they were at they you know they underneath the brooklyn bridge fireworks going off the whole time and i remember going to school the next day and not everybody not everybody but but some guys came came up to me and go you know that was really cool last night i mean that was Bigger than I thought it would be, and they they look great, and you know they're giving me crap about them being. You know, people are giving me crap. I'll oh, kiss their old blah, blah blah blah. This is twenty years ago. People saying kiss their old, you know, you should hang it up. But people say you know they looked really good, and and they they play great, and they sounded great, and and I think a lot of Kiss fans go back and say that 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 performance under the Brooklyn Bridge was one of, if not the best performance of that reunion tour, and to have that be showcased on MTV the way it was um, is really, a, and you're right, Mark, it is a, a great historic um, KISS location. So it's an excellent pick. Yeah, and do you think any band could get away with uh, putting that much pyro under the brook, anywhere near a bridge uh, <laughs> no, in this day and age now? absolutely not. No. So, no. you know, it, it was absolutely staggering. I remember, you know, trying to, find clips or stuff of that from England at the time and uh, you know I was just amazed you know because Brooklyn Bridge I'm, I'm in England at the time it's it's iconic I didn't know anything about the Statue of Liberty being you know the first place they wanted to play at that point and uh, getting shut down but yeah it, it was an impressive thing I'm gonna go in now with a very deep one for uh, for my pick and we're gonna start off talking about the Beatles on this one 1957 Paul McCartney meets John Lennon for the first time at St. Peter's yeah. Church in Walton, Liverpool. And in the story of Kiss, we've got the same sort of place. Uh -huh. And it is known as Forlini's third phase on Broadway and 111th Street. And it's been referred to as the cave because it was covered with all sorts of styrofoam and made to look like a cave. And that is where, according to Marty Cohen, who was a musician who played in bands with both um, Gene and Paul. He's also uh, he, in the same position as Stephen Cornell was, except, of course, uh, Stephen's now no longer talked about for obvious reasons. Um, so Marty was there, and that is where Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley met for the very first time. 
and it has nothing to do at that time about where they later went and you know you hear about them meeting at steve's house and hey play a song you know and all that you know you've heard the standard story but that's actually the first place and i haven't even looked i haven't had time to even see if it's still around but i did look into i think it was the new yorker magazine had a you know a description of forlini's and it totally married up with what paul said in his bio and what marty said to me in an interview i did with him a couple of years ago so for me when we think about mccartney and lennon and simmons and stanley you know that that is possibly one of the coolest places that you get two guys who are going to change music history uh, and popular culture you know, obviously we can't really put Kiss up there with the Beatles, but they certainly had a hell of an impact on Americana. So that that to me is a really cool place and one of my top ten locations. Awesome. That's a good one. And everyone out there is going, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Makes total sense to me because those, you know, hey, you wouldn't have these bands had those these two guys, either the Beatles or Kiss, meet i mean if they for some reason one guy had to go to oh i can't make it today i gotta go to the dentist or something you know uh you know the things would have changed probably drastically we wouldn't have a kiss at all yeah and and you know it's these these passing little things in history that you know oh i'm I'm down my friend's down from college you know let's just go see my other friend's band you know played with him let's go see him oh well that dude's called paul stanley eisen you know and this this is gene klein and it, it's just the, the first interactions. I, I find that sort of side of history really cool. So, yeah, it is definitely it's crazy. All right, All right. who's Monty, next? Are you? My next. Um, I'm going to go with one of my picks, and in, um, and it's something that that I did also. Um, is Kobo Hall. You know, mm-hmm. where where live was recorded. Um, I think that's probably on all of our lists. But um, we got when we were walking around Detroit at the same time we saw Tiger Stadium. You know, we we had to go by walking by Cobo Hall and get our picture taken in front of Cobo Hall. I mean, without I mean that's that's the location where where the band really launched from being a cult following type band to to superstardom. With you know, obviously we're a good chunk of where live was recorded. Um, just an historic location. I mean, you can't say enough about it. And then, and not just the alive shows too, where actually physically alive was recorded, but you know, those shows in January 76, the rock and roll over show that they did there. I mean, it's just a really historic location of, of the band's history. And, yeah. and, you know, and then I really wish I would have saw them, at those shows there in 09 when they kicked off the American leg of the Alive 35 tour. But even I couldn't justify doing it because I had seen them. I, in 09, I went to, they did that Canadian tour and I saw them in Sarnia in 09. I saw them in Windsor like a day later. And I, two weeks prior to that, I drove to Milwaukee and saw them and I'd already seen them three times already that year. And I knew I was going to see them more, and I was like, I, I can't justify another trip that far. So. But in hindsight, I wish I would have just said, fuck it, I got to go up there and go see one of those shows. Because that would have been, to see Kiss play Cobble Hall one last time would have been incredible. So, And I know um, 
Andrew went, a couple of, I know some other people that went, and they said, you know, it was just a surreal experience to to see them play in that venue. And then also knowing this is the last time that they're ever going to play in this venue. It had to have been an amazing experience. But I did get to see it from the outside, which was, was yeah. okay. Yeah, well, I mean, they ripped it down now, haven't they? And it's been redevelopment and redeveloped into something else. Yeah. My why, my biggest regret on that is that it was not the final concert held there. And that yeah, p- that sucks. Yeah, piss played the final. Uh, pish, piss, whatever the hell they are. <laughs> you know, was the final concert at that venue. But again, it's heartland of America. You know, and it's just so it's so central. And you think of all the videos out of Cobo Hall. Oh yeah, yeah. The video history that we've been blessed with as Kiss fans from that venue, and obviously the Alive connection, and it's really the the, the breakout sellout shows in '75. You know, come from that that place. So yeah, and also don't forget the anim- Animalize video was from there too in '84, right? So that was another uh, connection to that, right? Yeah. So. How about you? How about you, Ken? What's on your list there? Well, let's see. I had Cobo Hall on that list too. So. Yeah, that was swiping them off your list one by one. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. I'll go to another one. Uh, we haven't talked about uh, that's on my list. Uh, I have another one, uh, Madison Square Garden, um, because I think that one is pretty important. Obviously, it's a it's kind of the thing that they were shooting for from the beginning. I think all their dreams were finally realized when they finally played there for the first time uh, that's what their their goal was um, they fi- that's kind of i think they finally figured out they really made it even though a live sold well and stuff like that but playing Madison Square Garden was was the ultimate for them and uh, i know that was the thing that peter chris used to say uh, you know we're played each place like we're playing Madison Square Garden and uh, their family showed up the whole thing and it was just a big party that first show may have not been their best performance there because of all the excitement but uh i think that is it's huge plus madison square garden is is you know world known um his, historically a lot of things have happened there you know with whether it's you know ollie you know fighting there or or, or uh um frank sinatra playing live and and so on so so many things have happened there, and it's just a it's just an institution of New York. But it's it's a it's the goal that Kiss was shooting for from the beginning. Yet another iconic location that many non-Americans would be able to. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. You know, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'll go back to another one of mine, but in in order to keep it more. Uh, so I don't overlap with as many people. I'll try to go for a, another odd one, or as or as a, Julian would say, a deep one here. Um, here's one that I, that I really wanted to go check out. I don't, I don't think that they're actually still in existence now. I think the building is still there, but the address is 8255 Sunset Boulevard, Los Angeles. <laughs> that would be Casablanca Records' office. So that's one thing, place I think that's important, obviously, for KISS, because, I mean, you had the masterminds in that building working on KISS and their career. I mean, you know, Bogart, Larry Harris. 
I mean, all those people that, you know, we've thought about and talked about and that you brought up in your book through those in the solo album book, they, a lot of them were in there working at that time. And I mean, you know, what, what can you say about that place? I mean, there's been so many crazy stories in that building. I mean, could you imagine working in that building during Kiss's heyday? I mean, you know, uh, from the stories that I've heard, and I'm sure we've all read them about, you know, getting a Mercedes and, you know, having a guy coming to your office and taking your cocaine order every single week, you know, it must have been complete craziness working at that place. But, you know, the results kind of show for themselves. I mean, Kiss was the biggest band for quite a while there at the one point. So they must have known what they were doing. I mean, and it's also important to note that when I was doing my research in this, I was reading that they said a lot of people uh, have mentioned that there's a lot of KISS fan pictures around that building, that there's been a lot of uh, billboard shots from there. Like back in the day, I guess a lot of KISS fans have pictures from that building. So, I mean, even back then, people kind of recognized the importance of that building in KISS history. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and actually... The third—that's the third and final address, I believe, for uh, Casablanca, because they—they were originally based out of uh, eleven twelve North Sherburne Drive in L.A., and the first address was actually Neil's penthouse. It, uh, he was using for as Casablanca. It's on the first Kiss contract, actually, uh, a penthouse in New York City. So, oh, nice. If if you think of the importance of what you've just said about you know Casablanca Records, the importance to music, just saying disco. Yeah. You know, for better or worse, the disco industry was basically driven out of that address. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of cool to consider. And I, I can't remember it, what people have said, whether it still exists or what, but, you know, that, that's a cool pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, can I go now? Sure. All right. Please do. I gotta I gotta bring up my notes to decide which one I'm, I want to go with, and I'm <laughs> I'm gonna go with the Academy of Music, New mm-hmm. York City. Obviously, it's the the location of the first ever professional, you know, as a signed band uh, with an album pending, uh, Kiss. Um, we'll exclude Coventry just because that's, you know, um, convenient. So, you know, they, they play their, their their first gigs opening for professional acts such as, you know, who was it, Iggy on Christmas Eve 73? Um, Blue Oyster Cult. Blue Oyster Cult and... You know, Gene burns his hair that night, and he injures someone in the audience. Yeah. And then they're back there a couple of weeks later. So playing with, I can't remember who, but, you know, they play a couple of gigs that year in 74 at the Academy of Music. And then, of course, it's the location of Eric Carr's W concert with the band when it's renamed the Palladium. And Eric Carr had played there with his bands in the 70s, Okay, so the the Palladium is, you know, it's just one of those cool locations, again, central to the New York music scene because every band basically played the Palladium at one time or another. And there's, for a bootleg collector, there's some of my favorite bootlegs are actually at the Palladium and Judas Priest, 1979. (laughs) Fantastic one. And, of course, uh, ACDC the following year before the Back in Black really broke. So that's my pick. Awesome. Very nice. So, uh, go, 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 go ahead there, Lonnie. Yes, sir. Uh, I want to go with um, Cadillac, Michigan. Um, I think that'd be... Uh, are you pissed off now? Yeah. 
stealing. Another on my list, but it's a good one. <laughs> so, sorry, Mark told me to go. Go on. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it'd be awesome to go there, and that's something that I go back to. I mean, just everything I'm talking about is in the state of Michigan today, actually, I guess. But um, going back to that trip my brother and I took in 07, we saw him in Sault Ste. Marie. We were driving back, and I was like, oh, you know, we could we could make a turn here, and two hours to the west, we could hit Cadillac, Michigan. And he goes, I am not driving four hours out of the way in total so you can walk around a high school that Kiss played at 40 years ago. I was like, all right. But, you know... I think it, I think that'd be cool, and um, you know I uh, I'm jealous of the people that got to go to that anniversary show up there back in October. That looked like a lot of fun. Andrew said it was it was just a blast. He said he felt like uh, felt like he was Peter Chris for the weekend. He's just like rock star treatment all weekend long. So yeah, just think of that. Andrew got to play in the same gym as yeah. Kiss. Yeah. Maybe the same like crappy stage even that they set up for him back then. <laughs> who, who freaking knows you know what i mean so so mr speed more power to you i mean that's the way to experience a historic location to be a tribute band and actually get to play that location that is freaking awesome it had to have just been a surreal experience for those guys to to do that i mean you have to pinch yourself at some point during the show like is this really happening i'm playing at the kind of like I mean, we've all heard the stories and we've all thought about how cool it would have been to be there and there they are Playing basically as Kiss to the current high, to to the town to the current high school students. I mean, it, it's crazy. But even even before that, I don't know. I thought it'd be cool to go there and walk around the high school, walk around the football field, you know, and see like, oh, this is where the helicopter must have landed on the football field, and you know how how crazy. Walk down Main Street, you know, where the parade took place. How crazy that must have been in '75 to to see that to see that unfold and to see this band that was skyrocketing in popularity at the time come to your hometown and basically the middle of nowhere michigan and make it their home for the weekend so um i think i think that'd be cool to to visit that as 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 a kiss fan and you know maybe there's not a whole lot of us out there that would say yeah i want to go to cadillac michigan and do that but you know as a kiss fan it's important to us to to see these places and to see a small town in the middle of nowhere it'd be it'd be I, I still think even even without the you know Mr. Speed playing there for the anniversary, it'd just be a surreal experience just to walk around the town and and see then to to point out the different um, different locations that are historic to that visit. So yeah, and, and I want I want to jump in there because I love books about topics like that, mm-hmm. and Cadillac really should be documented while people are still around who. Mm -hmm. were there. Jim obviously has had a website for many years about that. But now that they've had the anniversary and you kind of have a bookend with the 40th anniversary, I think it's time that someone in Cadillac or close to there actually gets together and starts interviewing people who are still with us, you know, to get those stories preserved and to collect as much. There must be photographs that the kids took. There's still gonna be photographs that aren't. Yeah, there's so much history there, and you know what? There are Kiss fans who would love to give you money for that effort. You know, <laughs> you're you're record you're recording what is an interesting part of popular culture history in America. Um, obviously, there's gonna be a lot of people not interested in it, but you know, if you think of the this Kiss in Japan book, Cadillac, Kiss in Kiss in Cadillac, do a, someone do a book, someone help them do a book. 
you know, they did that, you know, there's a, some really cool footage on, on the Kiss Allergy. And then, I don't know if you guys remember, in 2009, ESPN did a special, yeah. too, yeah. Um, about that. And that had some, it had a lot of the same footage on, but it had some different footage on there, too. Um, it was back in 2009 when um, they were promoting Sonic Boom. And Eric and Gene were actually in the studios at ESPN, and they played this. They had this little like fifteen minute documentary about Kiss and Cadillac, Michigan. Um, it was really cool. They had some really cool footage on there. You guys, I don't know if it's on. I have it saved on my DVR. I'm sure you can probably find it on YouTube or something if you look hard enough, or ESPN's website if you look hard enough. But it's some really cool footage on there too. So and it, and I'm watching that, and I'm like, well, that that wasn't on Kissology. Where are they getting some of this footage from? So there's there's more stuff out there, and and Julian's right. Well. While everyone, or hopefully most everyone, is still with us that was a participant back then, whether they be a player or a coach or, or whoever, it'd be, it'd be a great thing to document and, you know, more of a, and since that, since the uh, anniversary is taking place, they have like a bookend on it and say, you know, just kind of wrap it up real nice like, and it'd be, it'd be cool. I mean, I think yeah. the four of us would buy it and, and our 12 listeners would go out and buy it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think another important thing to bring up is that Cadillac represents, I think, what they were doing right back then. I think if any band that's starting out wants to take a chapter out of Kiss's book, take a good look at Cadillac because at that point they were playing a town in the middle of you know nowhere. I mean, compared to like a Detroit or something, Cadillac is a small town, but they approached it just as important as a big town. And that's the reason why people connected with them and why they got so big, because they took the B cities just as important as the A cities. And that is how you build a big following is doing stuff like that. I mean, that's why even a lot of bands today, I think are being foolish that they ignore smaller markets and strictly want to play the big ones for the sake of growing your fan base. If you want to grow your fan base, go to some of the smaller ones. Some they are more desperate for music. They're hungrier for live acts. So go there. You'll pick up a lot more people. You'll probably sell more merch because they're, they want to remember the event. So I think Cadillac is a good uh, representation of what they did correct back then. Yeah, you get the loyalty out of the grassroots because you've respected them by coming to their town. So, yeah. Ken, you're up. Yeah. Well, of course, Cadillac was on my list. Another great choice. Lonnie? You're running out of options here. I'm running out of options. No, I, I still got some here. Um, another one on my list is the, uh, I don't know the, ac- I don't have the address, but it's the corner where they took the Just to Kill Oh yeah. Uh, album cover photo. 23rd and 8th. That's it. Okay. Um, so that one is just. I guess you see a lot of fans wanting to go visit that location or get their picture taken there. Um, um, I guess I, I would I would want to do that, you know, if I was in that particular location. I went, went to New York one time, but I didn't get, have a chance to go there. But um, that would have been a good one for me, uh, you know, to see just to go there. And say, oh, this is where they took that, you know, the dress to kill. Uh, album cover. It was a Bob Gruen or uh, who took that one? I, can't I think remember. so. Yeah. Was it? So um, yeah, that's a that's another big one. And maybe I'll throw another one in real quick too because I was talking about when I was visiting there. Um, <laughs> no one steals uh, it <laughs> before someone steals it. I don't think so. I don't think he's going to steal it. But then another one. This is a quick one. Uh, the Empire State Building. Um, Damn it. 
Uh oh. Where they? Yeah. Where they took the? You know, they. I had the poster of them on the top of the Empire State Building, uh, overlooking it, and that was a great one there. Um, and then just the significance of that, uh, that, you know, building itself in history. Um, plus another important thing, I, 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 I visited there too, so I was up there where around where they took the shot at the top, um, and then also. Another significance, at least personally for me, is is my father worked in that building for a, a short period of time after the war, World War II. Um, so he was in there. He 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 worked at a, in a floor that was uh, right above or below where a B twenty five once crashed into the side of the, cool. the building. Wow. I mean, he said he could see the where they fixed it. <laughs> so <laughs> so he it was shortly after they fixed it, and he was working right there and he could wow. see where they yeah where this guy is stuck got stuck in the side yeah. um so that was that's kind of significant for me i was able to see you know where kiss was and my dad worked there he trout you know was in that building uh when he was younger and uh, you know it's just a cool building too it's just so iconic like kiss you know it's iconic i think it's also important to make note too just strictly from a photography point of mm-hmm. view that a lot of people used to think, and it was written in a book, that people thought that that was a backdrop for the longest time, that the, mm. that the actual skyline there, that he did such a great job of that picture. A lot of people for a long time didn't believe it was an actual New York City backdrop there, and that just goes to show how great a photographer he was to be able to take that picture like that, right? Yep. That was, so, that was Barry Levine, wasn't it, for that one? Yes. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. I had in, the, in that book, his book, yeah. Yeah, more shots, great. right? So, yeah. yeah. So I'll go ahead with another one, and uh, I'm going to pick another, I guess, odd one to me. Maybe not to Julian, because it seems that the ones that I pick, he seems to kind of have a clue to them. But uh, I'm going to go with KYW TV Studio, 5th and Market Street, Philadelphia, the home of the Mike Douglas show. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that one because it was Kiss's first national television appearance. So... I would I would say that that is pretty important for a- any band if you're going to want to make it in this business. Television, as they've proven to us, is a very important media to tackle and to get onto. I mean, you know, if you if you have TV on your side, you have much more viewership and you have much more people. You have a lot of eyeballs on you, and you know, one would maybe question how good a job Gene did on that uh, actual broadcast but uh you know the performance of firehouse i thought was pretty good i i mean they've done better of course but playing television is a lot different than playing you know just a normal live concert you have to adjust for volume you can't play as loud in a television studio as you normally would in a concert so a lot of bands don't like playing television strictly because of that i remember just on a little side note that when metallica was talking about playing i think one of those grammy awards that they hated it because they were always telling them turn it down turn it down and they're like what the hell man we play this loud what are you telling us to turn down for and they were saying well for television they need a certain volume for this and that so a lot of bands don't like to play television and you know but i guess kiss at that point they they probably would have played on one the volume if they knew that they can get on television you know because i mean it was a pretty important for them back then so I would uh, suspect that's a pretty important one. I'm just curious if anybody else had that on their list. Nope, but uh, you know one. what? 40, that was a good one, though. 40 years of comedy gold. 
<laughs> for Gene's uh, interview. So yeah, yeah. So you want to go? Want to go there, uh, Julian? Embarrassment. All right, I'll, I'll go next, and I, I just want to add the address of the first address for Casablanca Records was one sixteen Central Park South, mm. Penthouse A. So. I don't want to be incomplete or inaccurate. I had time to to look through some of my files. So, Uh, next up for me, I'm going to go with the San Francisco one, Winterland, Mm. and uh, it it was located on the the corner of Post and Steiner, and it's been ripped down. I think '85 it came down. I came out here and I didn't know it'd been ripped down. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get to go to the Winterland, and I was very disappointed to find out that uh, it had been gone for what 13 years by that point. (laughs) didn't do my due diligence, but because I live in San Francisco now, it was, you know, one of those places that, you know, it has been legendary because of the January 75 video. You know, that was one of the the, the core video bootlegs for so many years. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it's the earliest complete show um, until Coventry came along years and years later. Um, so it's really core to the band's visual imagery ingrained in my mind. And... As we know from Gene Simmons, it must have been filmed decades ago since it's in black and white. But it's you know, it's it's a really really good performance. Um, obviously, the venue had two other possible videos, which I always harp on about, believing the June '74 show to still exist. And from everything I've heard, and a lot of the evidence has been removed online over the years, um, that there is at least one copy of that out there. Um, but it is. A, very very secure and who knows you know it it may it may just be wishful thinking on my part but the possibility of there being two you know one 1974 and one 1975 show remaining there um are are just you know very appealing to me so as a venue you know it's it's the one that exists it's the first video bootleg i believe that i ever saw it's one that i actually still enjoy watching not the kissology version which is a pile of shite um but the the version the re the, whatever the re video editings that a lot of the people have done over the years, um, and on a bigger level, for me as another one of my favorite bands, it's the last venue that the Sex Pistols ever played, and mm. I am a big Sex Pistols fan. So from that perspective, it you know has some nice crossover appeal to me. Awesome, that's a that's a really uh that's a good one. really good pick there because I mean Winterland is probably one of my favorite bootleg shows that I've seen. I remember when the very first time I got it when I went to a one of those Kiss Expos here in Toronto. That was one of the ones that I grabbed, and I remember just constantly watching that one. I was just I just loved it. I mean, I thought it was one of their better performances, and I. I don't know, just there's something about that show that really connected with me. It was really cool. I mean, maybe the fact that it was black and white maybe added to it, I guess, maybe. Who knows, right? But I thought it was a really uh, great show. I mean, I guess a lot of us here would agree with that, right? Yeah, and first seeing that footage on Kiss Exposed, I mean, it just blew my mind. I hadn't seen the, I, I think the, the the video leaked as a result of Kiss Exposed, but I'm not sure of the details on that. Would love to find out about that that side of it. You know, just seeing that, I mean, it, for a new fan back in the mid '80s, it really, you know, it's like, wow, this band's been a, got such a history that they've got shit in black and white. To to my 1985 mind or 87, seeing it on Exposed, really kind of blew me away. That that made me think about KISS as something bigger uh, with a grander history just because there was black and white video. So, 
kind of weird from a psychological point of view. Yeah, definitely. So how about we, for a change, jump over to Ken so he doesn't get snafu'd with one again there. Okay, I won't get snafu'd with this one, because I think we hit everything on my list except one, and this other one, this one is a, is, is personal. It's the uh, the Cow Palace, uh, San Francisco Bay Area, uh, the venue, and that's where I first saw Kiss in, in 1979 uh, on a Dynasty tour. So that was the one. That's kind of a big deal. I mean, I, I've seen several concerts there uh, since I was the first time I was at the Cow Palace, but. Uh, the first time Kiss, and then I saw, I saw Kiss. I think they came back there uh, at least one more time there, and I saw them there at least one more time uh, after that. Um, it, it could have been there twice, but I think there was just one more time I saw them there. And uh, but that was just a you know an experience for me to see them finally live. They're there on stage in front of me. It's like oh, this is this is the real thing. I'm not just dreaming about it, you know, looking at pictures and listening to albums at home in my room. Um, so it, it was it was just a, a mind-blowing experience, and, uh, you know, it's just something I'll never forget. And yeah. so that's important to me. Was that was that where you saw the Creatures Tour? No, actually, the Creatures Tour was at another location in San Francisco, which was the San Francisco, uh, it was called the Civic Auditorium ah, uh, back okay. then. So, yeah. It was a smaller venue, see, because the Creature Story wasn't selling as well, so they couldn't, you know, they wouldn't have filled the Cow Palace. Um, I don't know the, how much seating was there, but, it, you know, that it was it was a lot more than uh, the San Francisco Civic. So Yeah, the, yeah. is the Civic the Bill Graham Auditorium now? I think that's what they call it now. Yeah, yeah. used to yeah. go buy that every day on the way to work. Awesome. There you go. That's a really great pick, I mean, considering, you know, because it's personal, I mean, Stuff like that you can never take away from someone having that kind of experience to, you know, seeing shows like that that are so important to you, right? Yeah, plus, you know, I had missed them in 77. Uh, I had just come to California in 77 uh, from Denver. And uh, it, I, I missed them. I was just getting into them, but they already passed uh, by the time I started getting into them. So I had to wait a while. But they played at the Cow Palace in 77, and that's on tape. That's one of the pretty big, you know, well-known bootlegs out there. Yeah, definitely. So what about you, Lonnie? What's on your list? Um, I got one that was uh, one that I actually did this summer when I was in Los Angeles, and I went to to Dodger Stadium. Um, it was really um, – it was, it was cool to go there, and not, not to see where Kirk Gibson hit that home run in 88, but to see, you know, that – I hate Kirk Gibson, that home run <laughs> Brutal, <laughs> but um, to you know to see them pl- to see the place that they pl- kicked off the Psycho Circus tour, um, and I mean I, I remember being listening to that show. They they broadcast that show like on the radio all throughout the country, and I remember listening to that show as it was unfolding, um, not knowing what the set list was, and hear him going to nothing to lose, and hear him going to she that night, and I was like, wow, was, you know, it was, it, was, it was really cool. And Julian, of course, was there, but um, that's why it's on my list. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> but, oh yeah. But it was, but it was still a cool experience to go there to see, to see this is this is one of the you know we've talked about it in the past. It's 
one of the few really historic shows that Kiss has had since they put back on the makeup. You can you, you know you can count them on one hand. The historic shows that they've had: Tiger Stadium, you know, Madison Square Garden, and, and Dodger Stadium is obviously on that list too. Um, just to play a stadium in America and the impact that 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 show had. So, and real quick, another one that I had. Well, I was in LA over the summer too. Is we went and got our pictures taken on the Kiss Star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which was, you know, kind of fun. Maybe it's not you know historic in, in, a, in the sense that Kiss played you know at a certain location or or Gene met Paul at this location, or, you know, they wrote lyrics at this hotel room in Evansville, Indiana, or something like that. But just, you know, it, it was a cool thing to see. You know, this is, here's my band, here they are represented, you know, um, amongst the rest of the elite, you could, you could say. So it was cool. It was a little dingy, it was a little dirty, but it was, it was, a, it was a cool thing to see nonetheless. <laughs> I'm going to jump in since you brought up Dodger Stadium. And and you know what? Obviously, that is my first show. That, that was on my list. That was actually the first show that I thought, you know, the first venue. Uh, American baseball, okay, it's an important venue regardless of the north-south thing here in California of Giants versus Dodger. Um, you know, the Dodgers are a historic team. So, um, yeah, it's cool from that perspective as well. You know, here is a stadium. KISS has not played a tremendous amount of stadiums in the United States. I mean, there were some in 76, Anaheim, Roosevelt. I mean, I think they did Chicago in 78, um, Tiger, obviously, in 96. So they haven't been a big stadium rock band in the U.S. at any time. And here was a concert with, I think, the the final uh, box score, and that was 32,500. That's a pretty big audience for the U.S. And to have been there, um, losing my Kiss concert virginity, you know, and finally getting to a show, and also being at the first show of a new album release tour, and to be at the first show of a kit the originals lineup tour for me you know for all those shows that i'd missed whether it was donnington 88 or the binghamton shows in 80 or 90 and 92 and the the the, uh, the uk tour in 92 which i also missed dates for and crazy nights and etc etc for me personally it's always going to be the most important show that I've ever been to, will ever be to, regardless of any of the cool shows I've been to since, in the casinos or in Vegas, whatever. You know, it's always going to be my first Kiss concert, and it's always going to be one where they debuted three songs from a new album, and they had the Psycho Circus thing that they never did again. Um, you know, it was just insane. So that that was on my list, and that's why it's it'll always be one I harp on about when it comes up in on one of these podcasts because it's just that's important to me as a Kiss fan. Great, that's yeah. a really good good selection. I think. I mean, for all those reasons, the the relevance American wise and the relevance with you just personally going to these shows, and you just said why it's so important, and that's that's great. Um, so now for one of my I have one of my last of my top ten. I have tons of other spots, but ones. But uh, this is one of my last ones of my top ten that I think are really important in terms of Kiss um, history. And we're going to go back again to the uh, New York State for this one. And uh, this one's going to be at the TC Industrial Park in Depew, which is the Borden Ink Plant, which is yeah. where Kiss put in their oh, blood yeah. for the comic books. Now. Mm-hmm. Historically speaking, 
I think it's important mainly because of the fact that, you know, hey, how many bands had their own comic books? The Eagles didn't have it. You know, nobody at that time were having a comic book and were of that stature that could do it. I mean, that alone should make it an important location. I mean, sure, we all know that later on we found out that the blood went into a Sports Illustrated magazine instead of the comic, but, I mean, the the intention was there. I mean, they went there for that, to do that. I mean, because somebody internally screwed it up, that's not Kiss's fault. But, I mean, I think it's a great kind of a novelty thing to talk about to people that, you know, who don't even maybe like Kiss. So when you bring up Kiss, you know, talking about the fact that, you know, did you know these guys even had a comic book? You know, it's kind of, it's always been an interesting talking point I found that when you talk to people about Kiss who don't really know too much about them, they always seem fascinated by that. And it kind of shows their stature of how big they are. And, you know, that place, you know, I remember there was a few television clips about that too, where they were going in and they were getting filmed going in there to drop off the blood. And I think there was even something that somebody mentioned that Gene was wearing the wrong era costume or something when he went in there to do that. Or there was some odd thing like that as well that was mentioned, you know, these guys who were like looking for all the little tight minutia bits. Right. Um, but I think it's, I think it's really cool. I mean, I, I think that's one of those old TV footages that always make me smile when I see them going in to go do that. So that's one of my last picks. And just really quickly, I won't take long with this one, but bringing up personal concerts experiences, I have to bring up Toronto Skydome, which is now the which is now the I think it's the Rogers Center. Yeah, the Rogers Center. Um, again, at that point, Kiss were huge, and for a band to play at that venue at that time, because not many bands were doing it, maybe U two or stuff like that. Because we're talking about like forty thousand people in this place, right? Usually. People would go to the smaller venue, maybe a couple of, you know, like 20 minutes away from Toronto and Hamilton, where you would get maybe 15 to 20,000, which would be a normal concert venue. And now here in Toronto, we have the Air Canada Centre, which is about 20,000. But to play the Sky Dome or the Rogers Centre, you'd have to be a big draw. So that was a, that was my first KISS concert was the reunion tour. And I'll never forget that. It was just jam-packed to see those inflatables there. It was just unbelievable it was a great show i think i've already talked about that show before but just really quickly i wanted to bring that up but mainly the comic uh book uh place there was my main last contribution to that yeah i like the comic book location obviously the photo shoot from that uh, was the basis for the images used on kiss originals too so that that was what i always like about that that place though i would never would have thought to name that venue <laughs> or look or location yeah well, um, Lonnie or somebody else want to jump in for a change here? I can throw something out there. Um, you guys are talking about more personal stuff. Um, and we, you guys have probably seen the footage of uh, Kiss playing St. Louis in 74, that outdoor kite festival. And you see the, those images of just looks like almost like a Woodstock with just masses amount of people. And uh, that park is is um, in St. Louis City, and it's actually, square footage-wise, it's actually bigger than than um, than Central Park, but it's like it's like the biggest park, um, city park in the country, but... Um, That's Forest Park, right? Correct. And that was, the, that was the KC Kite Fly. KC Kite Festival in Forest Park. Um, 
we were there. We and it's it's the same place where like the zoo is and the art museum and and a whole bunch of things like that here. But we went there. My wife and I went there in September. They have like this um, hot air balloon thing down there, and we were at this part in the park, and I was like, you know, I think this flat area right here must have been where it's a big wide open area it's like this must have been where where the stage was and and where that happened at and i was like i was like that's really cool because you see pictures like that all the time of that show them playing in the daylight um in those early primitive costumes so it's, it's a really cool site um right here that that i that I didn't even think about until I was actually physically there one day. It's like, you know, there's probably KISS fans out there that, that say, like, you know, I'd like to go there one day just to see that big area. I'm like, it's 20 minutes from my house. It's, you know, pretty cool, actually, thinking about that. Um, kind of like you guys were saying about about the Winterland and that, even though it's not there anymore. Like, when Julian said, well, I moved to San Francisco, I got I to gotta go check out the Winterland, you know. But yeah. um, that's kind of a, a cool location for KISS, especially in the early years that – it's like one of their biggest crowds I think they ever played at, even even ever. I think that is that that the the uh, audience estimates are Billboard printed up in uh, April '74 that a hundred thousand people have it's been insane. to that. So I, I think I think Jeff and Kurt put uh, I think approximately forty thousand. So forty mm-hmm. to a hundred. I think the confirmed total for the uh, the Flo and Eddie introduced show in. Uh, Anaheim in 76 was 43, 44,000. So that's in the ballpark of the biggest audience performed to in the United States in their whole 40 something years. There, there's a, there's a tribute band here in St. Louis called rocket ride. And, um, about the time that 40th anniversary of that took place, they did a gig at just a, a bar here in town and they had a DJ, um, that was working for Casey at the time there, and he talked. And he was actually pissed, picked Kiss up from the airport that day, nice. and and drove them to their hotel um, near Forest Park. And they weren't wearing the makeup or anything like that, you know. And you know, it just looked like the album had just come out. It was, it's April '74, you know. The album had just come out a couple months ago. He drove them to the their hotel and dropped them off, and then want to pick them up later in the day and, and here they come out of the hotel because there's no there's no backstage or anything at this park for them to get ready so like they got ready at the hotel and um he came back to pick them up in this van and here they come walking out and it's just like can you imagine being that guy <laughs> drove kiss the forest park where they played in front of a hundred thousand people but, um it's just a cool event it's just a cool location that you know and that's one of the cool, the coolest set of early Kiss pictures is from that gig. Oh, you know, absolutely! Them, them in, in the daylight. Yeah, with you know? the the back line looking like it's about to collapse off the back of the stage. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think Jr. is there, like holding on to it, so it appears like he's holding it up. Whether or not he's just leaning against it is not really relevant, you know. And them coming down the stairs behind it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the story yeah. that the, in the original Kiss Crew book they tell a story about you know almost refusing to play because of the the generators and all that. Yeah, he talked about that too. That DJ talked about that too. That that they that they weren't gonna they weren't gonna play, and at the very last minute they went on. What a what a surreal experience that must have been to see them up there. And and if you're in the audience, even you probably didn't even know who they were because it's April '74. You probably didn't even know who they were. And you know, we talk about Tiger Stadium, how everybody says that. Oh yeah, I was at Tiger Stadium. You walk around St. Louis, you talk to some, like Kiss fans from back in the day. Everyone was at that gig. If you ask, <laughs> I mean, so there's a hundred thousand people, but everyone yeah. was. 
So 100,000 people. Didn't anyone have a fucking tape recorder? Yeah, that's what I always yeah, say. When, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what I always say. Well, I was like, well, why didn't you tape? Oh. <laughs> yeah, because tape recorders are like this big and weighed 80 pounds. Exactly. In <laughs> no kidding. All right, who's going to go next? Who else has one? I'll just go to one real quick, or two. It's just very quick ones here, and they're personal ones again. Uh, but they have a significance. Uh, one is uh, the Stone in San Francisco, the club. I was waiting that, for that one. Yeah, that one is where uh, that was Eric. Uh, sorry, Eric Singer's first performance with Kiss live, and I was there at that show. So I was, it was I was lucky enough to see that, and that was one of the one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was just in the club. There's no fireworks, nothing else going on. It was just just fantastic uh and it's on you know you can find that out there uh you can listen to it uh, it's what did you think of your, the first time you saw him live since you were like one of the first people to actually see eric play live i thought it was great really I mean, yeah, fantastic I mean, obviously, just, just yeah. gave new energy kind of the same way eric carr gave new energy after you know peter chris i don't know what it is when you get a new drummer it seems to energize the band cause maybe it's it throws a little shift or something in it makes it a Mm-hmm. new in a, in a in a way so you know you get a new yeah. energy i mean but eric's he, fantastic and, and and still is to this day but yeah. like in 92 he played with like i mean he was he was really young he really played with like so much energy and oh yeah just really brought a different feel to the band yeah so yeah it was seeing it was, him play live with kiss for the first time i'm i had to been just like yeah. surreal like what is going on these songs just sound bring exactly you said like bring new life to some of those songs with yeah it was awesome, great set list, and and the other one was the uh, the when I saw them when we talked about the uh, creatures of the night the in uh, the San Francisco Civic that was the last time that they wore makeup uh, in the U S that was the last performance in makeup in the U S on the on U S tour for creatures of the night before they took it off and then uh, you know they did of course in makeup in Rio afterwards and all that when they went down there uh, but uh, that was the last one in America and then until of course the reunion um, so that that was a significance I was lucky enough to be at those couple of shows those are um, cool ones for but, sure uh, That's, they're it, kind of personal it's history you know last American show in makeup you know Eric Singer's live debut. First. That's that's cool shit. I mean, yeah. what it what it would have been like? Cool shows to say you've been at for sure. Yeah, to hear three songs off Revenge at that point as well live. Ooh. Wow, yeah. that's cool. Obviously, yeah, that was really that's a really great pick there. I mean, those kind of things are, you know, people only wish for that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, Julian was saying earlier about how he got to see his first show there. You know, with the Dodger Stadium there, and now you got to see Eric Singer's first first performance there. Like those kind of shows are great. A lot of people don't get that chance to be there for those kind of things, so it's, it makes a double more special, I would think, right? So, I mean, uh, Julian, you have a last one there? Yeah, mine's going to be the what a, what could have been, should have been, but wasn't. And that is Broome County Veterans Memorial Arena. And I was living in Binghamton in 84. And mm-hmm. I wasn't a KISS fan, unfortunately. And Mark St. John played at that mm-hmm. freaking show. And I knew guys who were going to the see KISS and didn't register with me. I was a Def Leppard fan at that time, I think. Or Duran Duran, God knows what. But I, was, I wasn't a KISS fan. And 
you know, I could have seen Mark St. John play his final show with Kiss. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a personal connection just because I lived in Binghamton at the time that Mark St. John played one of the two and a half shows that he played with the band (laughs) at that venue. Regardless of not being a Kiss fan at the time, obviously I I became a Kiss fan soon afterwards. Um, It's just, you know, why didn't anyone, you know, say we're going to go see Kiss? I mean, my mom probably wouldn't have let me, so it wouldn't have mattered. It would have been a moot point, but to to have lived there where something really historic did take place. That's cool. And, you know, that's the guy who played, I believe, the fewest number of shows with the band as a member. Uh, he was out faster than you could say Love Gun. Um, you know, I'm, replaced, I'm, repla- I'm replaced by Bruce, so I'm, I'm glad that there's a recording from that show. You know, I did. I only went to that... Um, to that venue once and that was to see david lee roth with tesla opening and that was my first ever rock concert and that was what january 86 or 87 i can't remember but you know a cool venue small i think it only holds six thousand, so it's a bit of a you know well common for that that size city so that yeah. that's uh one of my last picks Cool. I mean, I think as, as we're approaching the wrap-up, I think one thing that's kind of interesting to just bring up with these this, the discussion that we had here is everything that we spoke of here was pretty much North American-based. I mean, I think one mm. place that should be brought up before we just wrap this up is Budokan in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that that's been one of the spots that when they went over there, there was big hoopla they made a big hoopla of it in the press back here even about them playing there and, you know, all the sold-out shows they did there and all the pictures that we saw. I mean, just KISS going to just – you can even just say Japan in general is a historic place for mm-hmm. KISS, right? But, I mean, Budokan in itself being – even that televised show that we got there, um, I think that needs to be brought up because it's – definitely a very important part of kiss history yeah they talk about the you know the beating the the beatles record uh, for sold out shows there the first yeah. time out so it, it's it's very important for them and all the great pictures that were taken there you can see in those music life uh, magazines uh are just fantastic it's, it's you know the japan thing is it's so cool even the, even the records that they release their records and cds are are cool in their own way um, which, you know, it's just, it's just so cool. Extra stuff uh, to to latch on to. Yeah, and the history of Budokan, I mean, Budokan was on my list here. Um, I mean, it's not just like the 78 and 77 shows there. You go through to 88 and the stunning videos that we get from that era, right mm-hmm. through to 2015. What did they do at the beginning of this year with mm-hmm. the girls and Samurai Sun? They did their... F- the first and only right. performance of that song with the girls on stage with the giant Japanese drums and all that stuff. So it's a very special... Did they do that at Tokyo Dome? Was that Tokyo Dome? Yes, sir. Okay, thank you for the correction, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, That wasn't your point anyway. <laughs> no, it, it's, again, it's just how important that venue has been to, to KISS throughout the years. And Tokyo Dome, thank you for correcting me on that because I was completely... Oh, it's in Japan, same place. Yeah. Well, Japan is, like we said, you could just include Japan in general as an important place for KISS, right? So So I think that's KISS in Japan. Yes, that's another good way to segue that. (laughs) Um, I was just thinking about something, though, really quickly before we sign off. Um, Stone Temple Pilots, didn't they open for KISS in something later on? They They were supposed to open Tiger Stadium. 
Yeah, exactly. I just brought it. I just thought of that because, you know, as we all heard, Scott Weiland passed away, right? Yep. So I was just, uh, I just for some reason was thinking about Stone Temple Pilots. I wasn't sure. I think that they were supposed to open, like you said, for the yeah. entire stadium, right? But He got arrested or, or had some issues. <laughs> I don't yeah. know, is that the drugs at Ongoing that time? Issues. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, repla- just, replaced by Alice in Chains for those first few shows, uh, right. which, of course, Lane Staley also went the same way as, as uh, well, we don't know why Scott passed, but, you know. Yes, right. Yeah, but, doesn't matter. He's got children, he's got family, he's got fans. So right, the, exactly. the, reason, the reasons yeah. why he's passed don't really matter. That, uh, you know, he's, right. he's leaving a gap for people who uh, he meant a lot to is more sad than the reasons why he you know, whatever. If he had a drug drug issue, you know that those things are hard to deal with. It's not all personal choices. Ace yeah. will remind everyone. So, I've seen a lot of judgmental shit on the boards today about him. Yeah, dying. That's, you, know, you know, and and again, it like comes back to you know he's got family, he's got children, yeah. he's got people who care about him, and he provided music and entertainment to a lot of people. Whatever, you know what? whatever his decisions or his inabilities to conquer things, you know, that's all personal shit. You know, someone mm-hmm. someone lost a father. Yeah. yeah, you know what? Everybody has demons. Not everybody has. Maybe not to the extent of Scott, but everybody has things that maybe they shouldn't have done in their lives, or or they, maybe they cheated death at one point or another. Maybe they maybe they drove home drunk once and they shouldn't have drove home drunk. You know, to point fingers at, at him because of this is totally uncalled for. And you know, like you said, he has family, he has children. It's a sad. It's a sad thing. It's not a time to to be pointing fingers at. Yeah, let him rest in peace. You know? yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, that was a. In- it's my rant for the day since Andrew's not here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Mark, I'm going to take control back from you and wrap this yeah. show up. Uh, so that's some of our historic locations, and and you know what? That turned out to be a cool little walk through some of these places. There there are quite a few places that I want to go visit. That's been mentioned today. One, my last one on my list was Hammersmith Odeon because that's a legendary venue in london and i might go there later this month we'll see if i have time um just to stand outside there but Hmm. it can't interfere with the football so um you know what what are your favorite or your your top 10 historic locations come and join the topic on the faq message board or on the kiss faq facebook page and let us know which ones you really resonate with because there's a lot of them and we haven't touched on any of the south american ones um and uh, you know we, mm. we we barely scraped the barrel for europe so everyone's perspective will be governed by when they became fans where they live um so chime in on the topic so that's the episode so from ken from lonnie mm. and myself thank you for, and mark um, yes sorry Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your time and we appreciate your feedback. So we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. We hope to see you again.